Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! Each week we'll invite a special guest to join us in trolling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does. He's scored! Oh, what a great back Our special guest this week is Stephen Miller. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Andy. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. Now, Stephen is a man behind the Rangers video archive site on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Any other places that it's available on? Uh, No, I think you've covered it, yeah. Okay. With nearly 62,000 members. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. That's on Facebook, yeah. yeah. Stephen has a huge library of football matches as well as other nostalgia that he lovingly shares with others. So, again, welcome. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm watching one just now, Stephen, and it's an absolutely glorious match at Morton v Rangers at Capolo. Sunny day, played in the snow, an orange ball. Both goalkeepers have got tacky <laughs> bottoms on. The players are sliding about. It's fantastic. A game you do not see anymore. No, no, I don't think that would be played in in this weather with health and safety, etc. Yeah, but it was just a kind of game that just you, you wouldn't think twice about it going on in those in those days. What's what's oh, that mid eight? And a three a three each draw as well. It was. Oh, you've ruined it! You've ruined it for Tom. <laughs> didn't he know the score? <laughs> right. Okay. So listen, the magazine that we've got for you today is Shoot from the tenth of July, nineteen seventy six. So this is Shoot incorporating goal, as it says on the front cover. So shoot first incorporated goal back in the 15th of June 1974, so this is 76, so there's a couple of years of it incorporating goal, which, to be honest, I don't ever remember that being much of a difference. I don't, you know, didn't see anything that I thought, oh, that's really goal, or that doesn't, but so, you know, I think it was just name only. Now, the the front page is a, it's a full colour photo of Martin Bucking of Man United making a lunging challenge on David Johnson of Ipswich Town. And it looks as though Johnson is just about to either let fly at goal or put a cross in. But it also looks as though Bucking may have been successful in this challenge. So, Ipswich Town's fans are looking on in the background in anticipation uh, during the game at Portman Road. The title to the photo is The Martin Bucking Story Part 2. So, we'll delve into that when we go in as well. Other things on the front page is Spanish champions Real Madrid, colour team uh, group and club call. So, you know, we're, we're getting a foreign team this time for the, the centre center team photo. And surprise packets, the players who broke through last season. So there's, there's you know, it's not a great deal going on. Sometimes there's, there's a lot of, you know, little subheadings and things like that. So there's not a great deal going on. But I think that was more the case back then. You know, it's, it's when it started getting to the 80s, maybe late 80s, 90s, that you start, it's more about what's inside than actual a, a photograph, an action photograph like that. So if we just want to move into pages two and three. So this is News Desk compiled by Peter Stewart. 
And the one we're going to look at here is Reoc will move back. And this is about Bruce Reoc of Derby County. So Derby in Scotland midfielder Bruce Reoc will be playing in the middle of defence at centre-back in a few seasons. Who said so? None other than his Derby boss, Dave Mackay. Mackay says, yes, that's how I see his role eventually. Now, Bruce took over in that position from an injured Roy McFarlane in the last match of last season and never missed a ball. Well, I started my career at centre-half, so who knows? So, the, the little story there, Bruce Reoc. Next one is about Ali McLeod is left speechless. So, Ali McLeod at Aberdeen. So, yeah, it's not often Aberdeen manager Ali McLeod is left speechless, but he was after his team's 1-1 draw with Celtic at Parkhead towards the end of last season. After the match, Celtic winger Johnny Doyle presented Ali with the Scotland shirt he wore when he made his international debut against Romania. And Doyle said, I wanted to thank Ali for all he had done to help me when we were both at Air United. And from what I understand, um, the shirt was returned to the Doyle family by Ali. And it's believed it's framed in the boardroom at Air United. So that's a lovely wee story. Um, and I've heard a few stories about how, you know, Johnny Doyle definitely had a lot of love and a lot of appreciation for, for Ali McLeod back then. Now, we've spoken about Ali a few times before, so let's just have a wee look at Johnny Doyle's um, his profile. So he was born on the 11th of May, 1951, and he, he sadly died very young, 19th of October, 1981, um, age 30. He's from Uddingston, and he started his career at Air United from 1970 to 76. 155 league appearances, scoring 24 goals before he moved to Celtic in 76. And he pl played there 118 league appearances, scoring 14 goals. He had that um, Scotland cap was his one and only full Scotland cap, but he had three under-23 caps as well. Uh, he was transferred from Air United to Celtic for 90,000, and he made a total of 168 appearances for Celtic in all competitions, scoring 35 goals. And probably the game he's most famous for is the game he was sent off in. Which game was that, Stephen? 1979, 21st of May, when Celtic beat Rangers 4-2 to win the league. <laughs> probably my worst game I've ever, I've ever attended. Uh, Doyle gets sent off after, I think it was 55 minutes, when the Rangers were winning 1-0. So Celtic down to
And it says, Queen of the South star George Dixon is one of the busiest off-the-field players in Britain. He's also a quality engineer with a Motherwell firm, runs a mobile disco two nights a week, and has just started an export business as a clockmaker. So we'll go with the, the article in a wee second, but just mobile disco, you know, I'm assuming they wouldn't have been a professional player at the time, but, you know, it's a football player out and about with his mobile disco a couple of nights a week. It's just, I love that. I think that's great. You've got to multitask down in the freeze. <laughs> yeah. And it, I bet you had the, 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 the disco voice as well, the, the DJ voice as well, where you basically can't understand anything he's saying. So he began making clocks as a hobby, but quickly found he had a mini gold mine on his hands. Specialising in clocks with a tartan background, George is busy selling them to exiled Scots in Canada, South Africa and New Zealand as well to locals. He knows his, he knows his market, doesn't he? Um, Ex-Scots, ex, ex anything to do with tartan, there we go, take my money. So now he's working on his most important order to date, which is a clock for the Queen of the South boardroom incorporating the Dumfries Club Crest. Now, we looked into this, and thanks to HammerQOS on Twitter, who's a big um, Queen of the South fan, we have the following update on George's clock. Now, I had to make sure that I, 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 firstly I spelt that, and then secondly I said that correctly. Now, he's, he's actually, his nickname's Chopper as well, so this is this is all just turning into one big carry-on movie here. So, George Chopper Dixon did indeed make a clock, but he gave it to a legendary keeper, Alan Ball, instead of getting it displayed in the Palmerston boardroom. With Alan's death, quite recently, the clock was handed on to his son. So, that's a, a nice wee, well, apart from Alan's death, it's a nice wee story that the, the clock has remained in the family, and it was actually made. So, there we go with that one. East Five game. So, we're on to just a little thing here, and it says, East Five to are planning a match against Hong Kong Rangers at Bayview on August the 1st. Now, do, we, do you know if this game took place? Stephen, Tom? Absolutely no idea. Now, I'll, te- I'll tell you. East Fife took on Hartlepool in, on the very date that this was meant to take place, and they won 4-0. So I think we can surmise that the Hong Kong game just didn't go ahead. Um, unless, unless other people's research, Tom, has your research done any... Any better than no, that? I haven't turned up a Hong Kong Rangers East Fife match. Okay. If anybody... There used to be quite a few Scottish players went out to play for Hong Kong Rangers, yeah. like uh, Alex Willoughby and Jim Forrest and hmm. Willie Henderson. Yeah. Yeah, it did seem to be quite a popular place for, for a lot of them. And, you know, some went towards the States, I guess, and some went to Hong Kong. Um so, uh, running back to fitness is our next little story. So, this is about Alfie Cohen of Spurs. that says, The close season will be a very important time for Spurs Scottish international midfield star Alfie Cohen. Anko and Cartley's troubles were followed by an Achilles tendon injury. And he has missed Spurs tours of Canada, Fiji, New Zealand and Australia and is back at home in Scotland training with a professional runner. Now, Alfie says, I realise next season can prove the big test for me. I want to be at the peak of my fitness and play well for Spurs. Right, so, so we'll, we'll take a look at Alfie Conn, full name Alfred James Conn. Uh, he was born on 5th of April 1952 in Kirkcaldy in Scotland. And his playing career started at Rangers between 68 and 74. Uh, he moved to Spurs between 74 and 77. And then he moved to Celtic, 77 to 79. And then he had um, spells with Derby County, Hercules CF, 
Pittsburgh Spirit, San Jose Earthquakes, Hartford Hellions, then he moved back to Scotland with Hearts, had a spell at Blackpool, and then had a spell at Motherwell, so he's, you know, between 79 and 81, he's moved about quite a bit, he's he's done that thing that we spoke about, where he's moved to the States and tried his luck there, but not not too many games in amongst it, I mean, the Hearts, I'm saying, it was only 17 league games, scored three goals, and Motherwell, um, over a three-year period, it was 27 games, so he, he's got two Scottish caps as well, um, so what's your, what's your one, of, one of them was in the five one defeat at Wembley in seventy five. Was it that one? We can we can mark that one off then and just or maybe put a little asterisk. Beside it was it. It was only it was only Scottish player that played well that day. Yeah. So, so the, well, I mean, obviously he's he's well known for crossing the divide from Rangers to Celtic. So, I mean, how do you think that has lasted? You know. How do how do Rangers fans see him these days? Uh, I, th- I think you, there's always some who never forgive because he played played for them and he was a hero for Rangers fans. He was a young young boy with a big sideburns and mm. uh, you know he was a really good player. Yeah, part of the the team that won the Cup Winners Cup. Yeah, but uh, obviously he kind of spoiled it a bit when he went to to Celtic. But to me, I'll always remember him as a good Rangers player. Mm. Uh, he gave his all when he played for us. He never scored for them against us, so <laughs> so yeah, uh, he was okay in my book. And he, as I say, he was part of our greatest ever triumph. So that can, and he always he gets some good natured banter. And I've been to a couple of nights where he's been he's been in attendance and really good, really good fun, and joins in with the banter. And that really mm. good. Ah, good man, good man. So we're on comeback. So the next little story is about George Connolly at Celtic, and it says Celtic's forgotten star who shocked Scottish soccer by walking out in the game and declaring he would never return, may make a comeback next season. He's, he has been training and it could be Celtic will take him back. Now the article also says another Celtic midfielder whose career was in doubt, Stevie Murray, could also make a welcome return. He's been out with a toe injury for most of last season. He's been in hospital recently and hopes to be fully fit for the new season. And Stevie says, I want nothing more than to play for Celtic again. So there's a couple of players there who, you know, maybe had shorter careers uh, for various reasons. Certainly with Celtic, then, then I think the Celtic fans would have hoped for themselves. But um, we'll take a quick look at George Conley. So he was born in 1949 and five, and he played 136 league games between 1968 and 76 with Celtic, and he then had, um, I mean. He, I'm probably jumping ahead a bit here because um, and I do give a little spoiler here, so we'll go to that first. Um, so George subsequently claimed that his poor wage at Celtic was the main reason for his Parkhead departure, as well as having problems with his marriage at the time. He would play briefly again for Falkirk in eight, eight league games, scoring twice that season, and then moved to junior side soccer after giving up the senior game completely. So he did come back into the game, um, albeit for for a short period of time. Um, but it wasn't with Celtic and with Stevie Murray. Uh, Stevie retired after the toe injury but came back briefly in 1979 with Dundee United after acupuncture treatment. And he played in three games in the league and came on as a substitute in the Scottish Cup final that year. Um, but his, his career basically stopped after that as well. So the, the two of them, you know, I think that there was a bit of hope there that they could continue their careers, but both of them never really did much else after that. Now, Stevie Murray 
um, was born in October 1944 in Dumbarton and he started at St Patrick's in Dumbarton and as a youth player. Uh, he had a period between 63 and 69 at Dundee and I think he actually, did he win the league at Dundee? Um, let me check if he did, I'm not sure about that. Um, no, he was too... Did he win the league in 62? He oh, was too... Sorry, he yeah. was after that. Yeah, he was, he was Scottish Cup runner-up in 63 and 64 it was, and the Scottish League Cup runner-up 67 and 68, so a couple of runner-up ones there, but as you say, that was just after their, their league victory. Um, so, in... 1980, Murray began his managerial career with Forfa, um, but resigned one training session and three days later. So that was quite a, a short period there. Uh, he returned to management two years later with Montrose. However, he left to pursue a career in banking. Um, he returned to Dundee United as assistant manager in July '89. However, he had a fallout with then-manager Jim McLean, and he left before the end of the year. Um, winning a substantial sum in a court action. So he's now retired from banking and is concentrating on painting. Now, I've actually, you may have seen over the years in the shoot magazines or the match magazines, there's sometimes been some of his works have been posted in it as well. And he's a, he's a decent artist. But, um, you know, tr- troubled, certainly a troubled managerial career for him there. Um, didn't seem to settle down much there. Now, here's a gate receipts at Hamden. So this, this little story says only, and I'm stressing only, 54,864 watched last season's European Cup final between Bayern Munich and St Etienne at Hamden Park. I mean, to be fair, the, the only there is, considering how much it can hold, considering how many fans, you know, would go to games like this, I guess that is a bit of a disappointment. But the, the article says a total of 63,644 tickets were sold, producing gate receipts of more than 175,000, the biggest ever for any game in Scotland. And in that game, Bayern won 1-0. Okay, so ref to retire is the next little story. So there's, I mean, you can see here, there's, there's lots of little stories just in these two pages which are, you know, Scottish-related. And this one's no different. So this is about... Referee Alistair McKenzie. So after 17 years as a senior ref, Alistair McKenzie of Larbert has announced his retirement. Mr McKenzie, a FIFA official since 1964, was in charge of the 1972 Cup Final where Celtic beat Hibs 6-1. So 17 years as a ref and he's retiring now. There's a, a little short one here about a Stranraff friendly. And it says Irish League side, uh, side Larn will play Scottish second division side Stranraer in a pre-season friendly at Stair Park. Now, I, I did check for this. I couldn't find any result of this, but they have played quite a few times since then. And I'm assuming because of the relative geographical proximity or, you know, between Stranraer and Larne and how it's easy to get, you know, that's where the that's where the, the ferry goes, isn't it? It is, yep. So I'd imagine that that's probably led to there have been quite a few friendlies between them over the years, but I couldn't find anything specific to this one. Now here we just, go. Sorry. Just, just a wee can I go, just a wee point on the Bayern Munich St. Etienne game. Yeah. The goal scorer in the game was Franz Rott, and he he was a guy who scored the winning goal 
nine years previous against Rangers in the European Cup Winners' Cup final in Nuremberg. And he also scored in the European Cup final the year before against Leeds United in Paris. Okay. So he scored in three three European finals. Mm. I mean, just back back to that, I did jump on a wee bit quick there. I mean, they said only 54,800 watched and 63,600 tickets were sold. I mean, that's a lot of people who didn't turn, turn up, up to the yeah. game. I was at the game. I went to the Is game. Is that right? Yep, it was good. St. Etienne played them off the park. Aye. St. Etienne had knocked Rangers out in the second round, 4-1 in aggregate, and they were really top side. Some terrific players. Uh, Bathany was a, a midfield player who was really good, and Rochetto was the, mm. the main man. Yeah. And a striker, Ravelli, really good players. They hit the bar three times in the game in Hamden. Yeah, they, uh, they blamed the, the square the square posts. Square posts, yep. That's right, yeah. They've got them in their museum now. <laughs> just let it go let it go <laughs> <laughs> and they gave Rangers a racing bike and it That's sits it. in Rangers trophy room at the moment what what, what, what was what was the, the context of the racing bike when was that given and what was it for it was, it was given in 75 when they, they played Rangers right, okay. in the European Cup you know teams used to give gifts right. between them and Rangers get a bike I think it took Rangers a few years before they could put it all together because it came in parts <laughs> <laughs> and they eventually got it and uh, and it sits in the trophy room mm. and uh, aye, it's in the trophy room trophy. underneath the, the portrait of Bill Struth the, the thing it'd be interesting to see what the, the sort of strange things it were given as, as little gifts and stuff like that but yeah. um, I think a bike might, might be pretty close there so the, the next little story here is there's there's nothing like a dug in football, is there? There's nothing like a dug in football. This is about Aberdeen linesman Tom McDonald, who was bitten in the arm while in action at the St Johnston versus Rangers game at Muirton Park last season by one of the Alsatian police dogs helping to control the 8,000 crowd. The dog from Police HQ in Dundee was taken from the ground immediately after the incident. Mr McDonald carried on until the end of the match and then went to hospital for treatment to minor abrasions and an anti-tetanus injection. I heard, I heard it was a dog that had to get the anti <laughs> the, Oh, I wish I had a little sound effect there. <laughs> but, um, oh, it's just, um, I, I love the idea. It was taken from the ground immediately. It was just sort of, you know, marched Hoped, out. and yeah. Yeah, I like the, the idea of that. Um, so the next one's about Andy, Andy Roxburgh. So European champions Bayern Munich have given Scotland's director of coaching, Andy Roxburgh, an open invitation to visit them and study their training methods. Now Andy picked up the invite while acting as official liaison officer to the West Germans during the final. So I guess it's all about making contacts, isn't it? It's all about making these yeah. these people and just... I didn't realise he was the director of coaching that far back. Mm. You know, obviously yeah. it was 86 when he became Scotland manager, so I didn't realise he was, he'd been there for so long. Yeah, because yeah, he basically left Clyde Bank, because he was coaching at Clyde Bank. And he basically left Clyde Bank in the sort of mid seventies to go into the sort of Scotland setup, and then he coached at various levels, so youth tournaments, etc. So yeah, definitely a name that we, you know, I think probably reading that back then, I don't think many people would have really clocked it or you know thought about it too much. But um, yeah, Andy Roxburgh is a name we all know now. Um, Next one is about Pat Stanton's testimonial. So it says Pat Stanton, he's still at Hibs, has been granted a testimonial for, from Hibs for next season after being at the club since 1963. Now, Pat did have a testimonial against Celtic in April 78, so 
you know, a couple of years after this. But he, he'd moved to Celtic in 76, so later the year of the, this magazine, and played there for two years before retiring through injury. So I'm just wondering, I don't know if any of you know whether the testimonial went ahead, at, you know. If you remember, I think the testimonial was at Easter Road. Yeah. But he was still, he was played for Celtic at the time. Mm. He signed for Celtic about the month after this magazine. Yeah, so so I'm wondering if they they sort of pulled the testimonial at that point, but then when so. when they finished and through injury, they probably had said, "Well, let's let's do it again," um, or if you know, I I don't really know the backstory of this too much. Whether there was any sort of animosity about them moving to Hibs or not at the time, so it'd be interesting to get a little bit of information. I don't think there was any animosity. No, I don't no. think it was. It was Jock scenes last season, I think, as Celtic manager. Yeah. Or what is yeah. And uh, they, they, they needed a replacement for George Connolly. Mm. And uh, Pat Stanton was a split sweeper that season and Celtic won a double. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, before we move off page three, I was just noticing that wee picture of the, of the, the Liverpool team. Because uh, there would be articles about how Liverpool always won when they flew Aer Lingus. Uh-huh. But uh, there's a picture there of Emon Hughes and... Bob Paisley with the UEFA Cup, but if you'll notice the UEFA Cup's in two bits. Yeah. I, I, I remember seeing the footage of that at 76 when they won it and and the trophy broke. But, and as you can so see saying, for that wee picture, it's still not being I'd be saying it shouldn't repaired. have been in two bits. No, it should be one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, they're still holding it in two two pieces. Oh, well. I never well spotted. Never, never, never it that wasn't one. a plinth. It was a, It was an all in one. And they broke <laughs> it when they got parading really yeah. it. But then again, I mean, you look at you see all photographs. Say, certainly, I think Celtic with the European Cup and they've got it in bed and stuff. And where they take yeah. these things, and you think the sort of places these trophies end used to end up. I doubt the yeah. the that happens now. But I'm surprised more never happened and more never got lost and. You know, damage beyond repair. Okay, let's move on to page four then. So, page four, readers' letters called goal lines. So, we'll have a look. I'm just going to have a look at one of these just now. Um, so, soft stars is the headline, and this is from David Setti from Stanwell, and he writes: Footballers are soft compared with other sports. When they're tackled, they roll around on the floor. A rugby player will shrug off a kick and carry on. Take an ice skater. If he hits the deck at speed, he gets up and carries on with his routine. I must emphasise, I am a great fan of soccer and don't like rugby or ice skating. Now, my first thought when I read that is exactly how shoot replied to this. And they say, you could have fooled me. It's this age-old thing, isn't it? How... And this is, what, 1976 again, and still having this same thing... Footballers are play actors, they're soft. Rugby players are tough and honest and get on with it. Well, now they're throwing ice skaters in, so I've never heard that one before. The ice skaters are hard as nails. The, the, the ice skater thing was probably in 76 because that was when John Curry won the Olympics, <laughs> didn't it? The Winter Olympics. Yeah. So it was a big thing at the time. But you're right, right, it's just it's pretty stupid. Well, you, you, you've got to sort of think... You know, because when you look at the football back then and what you remember as well and compare it to now, can you imagine Dave Setti from Stanwell watching a game nowadays and what they must think? Oh, no. He'd be upset. <laughs> just a bit. So pages, we're just going to, I'm going to jump on quite a few pages here. Um, pages 10 and 11. 
So this is two full pages of colour photos. Um, we've got Tony Want of Birmingham City and Roy Greaves of Bolton Wanderers. Now, Tony is in a classic blue and white Birmingham top, which is sort of like an Ajax style strip, isn't it? And Roy Greaves is wearing the Bolton away shirt, but also the home shorts. So the, the home, the Bolton home shirt was white, blue, white, with the away being red, white, red. Okay, so in this photograph, so it looks as though they're playing West Brom, who have white shorts. So that would explain the blue shorts being used, but it just looks a bit... At first, I, I, I thought maybe it was a, a goalkeeper's um, strip or something like that, but... Um, I just, again, I, I talk about this, I, I love the vibrance of the old photographs from this sort of period. It's like just really colourful and it's, it's almost like bloody to a certain degree as well. So I like those. Um, Tony, Tony Wants got some suntan, isn't he? He's probably, he's probably got a medallion in there as well somewhere then. That was a, that was a summer of 60, 76, so he was probably been out in the sun for a long time. Well, yeah, well he played for Philadelphia Atoms. Uh, so he maybe just did a wee spell in the in America before that picture was taken. Come back to Birmingham City. To be to be honest, his hair looks a little bit sun kissed as well, doesn't it? It looks as like it's got the 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 bleached yeah the bleached ends and stuff, the natural bleached ends. But um, you're saying there, Stephen, about the summer of '76, so being being the 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 hot the hot summer, and I think yeah. it was only the recent years where that was bettered, wasn't it? Aye, well, it was it was a fantastic summer. I think it was twenty or thirty days in a row that it was over twenty five degrees. Mm. Forgot what clouds looked like. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I would have been Even in Glasgow. Yeah, I mean, I would have been just over just four at the time. Um, but I actually remember. I, I, I've got a vivid memory of running down the the path, you know, from the the tenement from the close, running down the path to the street, just in our bare feet. And then there's another vivid memory I have of one of the, the we were on the roads, one of the roads, this was back when, you know, there, there wasn't anything like the sort of traffic you get, but we were on one of these side roads just up for your house. And we're in, in the middle of the road digging up the tarmac with like a lollipop stick because it was that hot. It was, And we were getting um, bottle lids, you know, for an iron brew bottle or something and just sticking it into the, the tarmac. It was it was incredible, the, the, the heat and... You know, yeah, the, the I just I, I remember I was bought on Bridget Briggs and uh, I just remember every every day in the summer out in the shorts and nothing else and just heading straight to the park, <laughs> play football all day. Yeah, I used to just come home at lunchtime and we used to watch a bit of cricket because <laughs> it was I think England were England, the Ashes were on or something like that at the time and England were getting well beaten and uh, that's what I remember. I used to come home watch that and then go back to the park. We were there for about ten hours a day. Would you do you watch cricket when you were a wee boy? Yeah, all right. I, I I don't really think I know many Scottish people who did when I was younger. I mean, I know, yeah. I know there's I, know I, like, there's... I liked it when uh, England were losing. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, we've not got much in English audience. We'll leave that in. <laughs> okay, so moving on to page twelve here. So talking about the states, this is about um, it's three black and white photographs showing Pele playing for the New York Cosmos, Bobby Moore playing for San Antonio Thunder, and George Best playing for LA Aztecs. So just a heading now starring in the States, just three famous players there. Um, I would love to have seen those photographs in colour because, I mean, really the the, America, the the North American leagues 
strips were, were something special back then. Um, okay, let's jump on to page 14. And well, I was just, just going to stop at uh, San Antonio uh, Thunder. Yep. Uh, Stephen, uh, one of, one of um, Bobby Moore's teammates uh, at that time was Jim Forrest. Yep. That season, along with, with Bobby Bobby Clark, Aberdeen hey. goalkeeper, and uh, Tommy Tommy, Tommy Callan. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, Tommy Callan. I think of uh, Celtic had a wee had a wee spell there as as well. I know. And Bobby Clark must have been later because he was still playing for Aberdeen in '79. Right. Again, it may, may have been one of those uh, summer summer right. sort of transfer, yeah. summer loans kind of th- kind of thing. Yeah. I think I think there was that that happened quite a bit where whether they just went for the sun or the money or just to keep fit or a combination of I think there was a lot of summer I they used to playing go coaching didn't yeah. they do some coaching in the summers yeah okay so jump to pages 14 and 15 this is the story of Martin Bucking part 2 okay and it starts off the straight talking captain of England's most glamorous club Manchester United and certainly once we get through this you realise why they say the straight talking captain because yeah. He says, I was a rebel. That's the, the subheading of the article. So Martin Buckingham was down to give a speech at a lavish banquet Man United threw to celebrate their FA Cup final appearance. However, no one told the player he'd be making a speech. So when he was introduced, Buckingham went to the table with the people in charge, whispered a few words and then went and sat down again. Now some were of the view that he could have done his best and muddled through, but that just wasn't Martin Buckingham. He's a perfectionist and a man who knows his mind and is prepared to stand up and be counted. He says he's fiercely independent and this has meant he has clashed with authority throughout his career. He even managed to get into trouble at school with football. He'd moved from a school in Aberdeen to Robert, Robert Gordon College where he was expected to play rugby. Now Buckin says, I had a running battle with the PE master. I used to play in the rugby trials and I suppose I wasn't a bad player. The sportsmaster wanted me, but I knew soccer was my game. I refused to play. I was a rebel, and I dug my heels. While captain of Aberdeen, Buckingham was in a European match against Juventus. And he says, they were brilliant. They could have been six up at half time, but in fact, it was only one. Well, our manager was talking to us during the interval and said we were not giving our centre-half enough cover. Suddenly, I interrupted and shouted, you're talking rubbish. I just heard those four words come out and I was horrified. I couldn't believe it was my voice. I was just a kid, really. There was a deadly hush and everyone just looked at me. Fortunately, the manager just went on talking and I got away with it. So Frank O'Farrell signed Bucking for Man United before Tommy Doherty took over. And it was a strange relationship. A strained relationship. It was probably a strange relationship as well. It was a strained relationship between Bucking and Doherty at the time. Doherty insisted on playing Bucking at left back, but the player wanted to play in the centre of defence. This eventually happened with Doherty also making him captain. During United's relegation season, Bucking recalls a heated training session where nothing was going right. He suddenly barked out what he thought was going wrong, but Doherty wasn't going to be challenged by a player, and he sent Bucking in for an early bath. And Bucking says, As I walked towards the dressing rooms, one of the lads whispered, Why don't you keep your mouth shut? You see, he was probably right, but there are times when I just have to say something. And he was also sent home from a United pre-season tour just after the team had returned from home, as it had returned home. 
The club was collecting the passports of the players before they went on to play Hull in a friendly. Buchan refused to hand his over, citing the fact that it was his own personal property. In the end, he conceded their point and handed over the passport. When his teammates agreed to wear a certain brand of tracksuit and boots for cash, Buchan refused as he preferred boots from another maker and didn't want to take the cash just for wearing the tracksuit. So I, I guess, you know, this pretty much... Um, it, it, it tells us why, you know, he's he's a bit of a, I don't know about a troublemaker, but he's a, a bit of a fiery, fiery character, you know, I think. Um, I, I mean, I, I I don't know if I, I really knew that about Martin Buchan before, that he was that um, much of a, a rebel, as they say. It didn't, didn't come across like that, and he, the way he played, he was quite a cultured player rather than a, he wasn't a hard hmm player as you might expect for the way that he, he writes in here yeah i mean i i always thought he was quite a, a quiet you know introverted character um and you know there's been other things where he's um other articles i've read where he's taken up a, a foreign language so that he can communicate with the referees and stuff like that and other players and i think that that's the that's the actions of quite a, an intel i'm not saying he's not intelligent from what he's doing here there's probably you know, a lot of that is because he is intelligent as well, but it didn't really come across that he's he's quite as fiery as, as comes across in this one. So, Martin Buchan, we'll take a quick look at him. So, he was born March 1949 in Aberdeen, and that's where he started his, um, his career. 1965-72, to 72, where he played 134 league games, scoring nine goals. He, in between that, he had a little spell at Washington Whips, so there's another player who... I think eight games, so that that's probably one of these things where he's went during the summer as well. Moved to Man United in '72. He was there for eleven years. Played uh, played four hundred and fifty six league games, scoring four goals, and he was transferred for one hundred and twenty thousand from Aberdeen. Um, so I think that was a bargain for Man United in the end. He finished his career with a couple of years at Oldham Athletic. Um, Played a couple of seasons there, as I say, 28 league games. He's got 34 national caps between 71 and 78. And he had a short career as Burnley manager, which I sort of recall, I think. I don't remember how it went, but I sort of remember him being a manager. Now, his, his, his father, Martin Senior, and his brother, George, both played for Aberdeen. And his son, Jamie, also played for Aberdeen and is currently with Cove Rangers. So there's definitely a big Aberdeen connection there. He was part of the Aberdeen team that won the 69-70 Scottish Cup against Celtic. And as we've mentioned, he was relegated to the second division with Man United before being made captain and returning up at the first attempt. He won the English FA Cup in 76-77 with Man United and remains the only player to have capped in both the Scottish and English FA Cup winning sides. I'm not sure if the, I was thinking about you know the possibility this may, you know, if if this record gets broken, and the only person I can really think of at the moment would be Kieran Tierney, um, the the only possible one if he ever gets to captain Arsenal, but well, I guess if he ever gets to play for Arsenal, yeah, um, yeah. at the moment. So he won. Was it was it Buckins the last brothers to win cup final? Because George Buchan played in the 1970 final as well, so the two brothers and the winning team. Oh, that's a question. That's a question. That one. I believe I believe they are the last brothers that have played the won a won the cup final. Scottish cup final. Or, yeah. Yeah. 
It'd be interesting. I'm trying to think of uh, English Cup final as well, which I can. That's that's a good one. I'll, we'll we'll take that away and see what we can do with that. So yeah, Martin Bucking is um, quite the character, um, and unexpectedly so for a few of us here. So we're on to page sixteen. Um, and I was going to just say that's a that's a great picture. Uh, the Manchester United players parading the quite tiny second division trophy. Yeah, uh, Trafford there. It's a great, it's a great, a great picture with the, with the kids running about after them as well. You you know for a fact, and you know obviously we're doing this um, over podcast, but right in the centre there's a wee guy, um, and he's got this um, V-neck jumper thing on, and it's got three big stars on it as well. And yep, you just yep. know for a fact that would have been something you would have loved to wear as a as a wee kid back then. That that's a, I, that did, I did. <laughs> did you have one of them? I didn't have the one with the three stars on it, but it used to be, was it college jumpers they were called? Oh, I had the, the Y oh, jumper, the, the Y, y cardigan. Y cardigan. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Um, yeah. Okay, let's embarrass ourselves by talking about this, because I had a, it was burgundy, burgundy Y cardigan with burgundy waffle yeah, I trousers. I had a blue one. Yeah, I think mine was purple and white, because I was colour blind, well, I still am, I'm colour blind and I was... When I see something nice, it usually turns out to be purple when I think it's blue. You know? <laughs> like like that Rangers strip that went that colour in the wash. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, so page 16, Ask the Expert. Um, it's quite, quite a little... It's called Morning and Evening. So Alec Vaughan from Dublin asks, Can you tell me anything about two famous old-time footballers who were known as Morning and Evening? Now, Shoot replies that they were two brothers with the, the surname Walters. One's initials were AM and the other's was PM. You know, the, the, I, I do love how certain nicknames um, sort of come about. So AM Walters and PM Walters was known as morning and evening. And they won 22 English caps between them. So well done, lads. Um, so can before, I, before can we go... Can I just jump in yeah. with a wee bit of research I've, I've done? Uh, there was also uh, Willie Callan and Tommy Callan won the Scottish Cup together, but that was that was that was sixty. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was before uh, Aberdeen. Uh, that was before Aberdeen had, had done it. Good work there, Tom. Good work. Fast on the fast on the fingers. I so, don't. I don't think Willie McStay and Paul McStay. They were only the other two I was thinking about in '85 uh, when Celtic won the, the cup against the DNA team. But I don't know if Willie McStay played in that game. Tom's on the case, no doubt. I uh, I'll do the, the research to see <laughs> if I can find the Scottish Cup. Uh, but before um, so the the next I, bit the next bit is the Real Madrid thing. But before we go into that, what we'll do um, we'll we'll do this. We'll do your focus on Stephen. Okay, um, so. You know, I keep saying to people, you're aware of the focus on feature where the a famous footballer is asked a load of questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a f- focus on Stephen Miller. So this oh, is Jesus. this is for you. You can right. you, you can choose choose to answer or not choose to answer. It's up to you. <laughs> so first question, full name. It's Stephen Miller. Okay, birthplace. Uh, Bishop Briggs, Glasgow. Okay, what was your first car? Uh, Hillman Avenger. <laughs> what was your favourite player? Uh, Colin Steen. Colin Steen, okay. Who's your favourite football team? That's an easy one. Uh, 
we'll go with Rangers with that one. <laughs> What's your most memorable match? That I've attended would be Rangers versus Bayern Munich in uh, 1972, Cup Winners' Cup semi-final at Ibrooks. Okay. So I was 11, 11 year old, just coming up for 12, and my, my dad took me that night and I was blown away. 90,000 in the ground. Fantastic. We scored in the first minute. Yeah. And that was, was, that was, my, that was my, my best. Was that your first game or had you been? No, 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 no. I went to Ibrox first when I was five, mm. 1965. Right. Okay. So what, what's your biggest thrill in your life? What's... Uh, probably the birth of my children. Yeah, good good answer. What's been the biggest disappointment? And don't say meeting me. <laughs> biggest disappointment? Uh, uh, losing 4 2 to Celtic in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's the best country that you've visited? Uh, my favourite one is uh, Portugal. I like, I like going to the Algarve. Mm-hmm. How often do you go there? Uh, I've been about. Eight or nine times. Right. Okay. What's your favourite food? Chicken. Chicken. Just chicken. Just chicken. <laughs> chicken. Chicken with anything. Uh, okay. What's miscellaneous like? So give me two things that you like. Puffy chicken. Uh, chocolate and ice cream. <laughs> I've, I've seen a theme here. <laughs> and, and I like chocolate ice cream chocolate as well. Chocolate ice cream. Okay. <laughs> Give me miscellaneous dislikes, two things that you dislike. Noisy eaters. Okay. That annoys me. And bad manners. Okay. I, I, was, I was taught, brought up when you opened the door for, for ladies, you walk in the outside of the pavement, all that kind of stuff, mm. and you just don't see that anymore. Oh, it's, it's even beyond that. It's like just when you're walking in front of somebody and you're checking your phone and you're slowing down and you're, you're weaving about... Oh, that yeah. drives me mental. Yeah. That drives me right, mad. Yeah. It's like, just get out of the way. Yep. But, but I'm just a wee bit intolerant like that. Okay. Who's your favourite, or what's your favourite TV show of all time? Of all time? Yep. Of all time. Uh, I'll go with Only Fools and Horses. Okay. What's your favourite singers? Favourite singer? Uh, I'm a huge Genesis fan. Okay. Uh, You'll be excited that they're getting yes. back together? I've got a ticket for Leeds and a ticket for Glasgow as well. So. And when, when are they meant to be? Uh, end of November, beginning of December. Yeah, you might, you might make so, it. Looking forward to that. And Frank Sinatra. All right, okay. Did you see him at Ibrox? I didn't, no. Uh-huh. I didn't go then. I think it was early, about 1990, I think it was, I think, when I... When I my old, my second son was just getting born just mm-hmm. around about that time. Okay. So I never went. Who's your favourite actor or actors? I like Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. I like Jack Nicholson. Right. Okay. Who's your best friend? My best friend? Uh, <laughs> oh, I've got I've got lots of people that are call friends I've got I've got I still got around my guys that I went to I met in school in nineteen sixty seven and yeah. seventy two and things like that. So I don't have one particular I've got lots of good friends. Is she is she listening in by any chance? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't call my wife my friend. <laughs> okay. 
Who's been the biggest influence on you? On me? Uh, that's, that's, I don't know. I've, I've never really... I've never really did a career that has been a kind of influence kind of thing. Or just personally, yeah. you know, who's, who's influenced mm. you personally? Honestly, it's not something I've ever thought about. Yeah. Uh, probably my dad, you know, like he, he influenced me in going to see Rangers, so yeah. I'll, uh, I'll blame him. <laughs> okay, which person in the world would you most like to meet? Most like to meet? The, the person that hands over the cheques for the lottery. Yeah, <laughs> Good good answer. I'd go for that as well. Okay, so that's that's the end of the focus on. So we're going to have a look at CelticMatchDay.com, which is a sponsor for the Shoot the Breeze podcast. So CelticMatchDay.com is a website where you can look through an archive of old Celtic um, programs. It's There's a huge collection on there and it's growing all the time. There's also other information, tickets as well, match day tickets. But we're going to delve into one. Um, we're going to look at f- from 1960... It's 23rd of January 1960 and this is Celtic vs Broth in the Scottish League Division 1. So to to get there, just go to the website, cl- click on the, or go over the archive, click on the archive option, drop down to 1960 and select the, the option. Have you got that, Tom? Yes, I have, yes. So we've got Bobby Carroll on the front cover. It's quite a, quite a old looking, as you'd expect, price, thruppins. Um, it's it's good to see a kick off Saturday 3pm I don't think we need to go back as far as 1960 to see that as a regular thing but um, yeah it's got top top division and we've got a broth in there so on the on the, the first page inside we've got some adverts Bank of Scotland welcomes you everywhere in Scotland Scotland's first bank and we've got Wiley's Wine um, looking, look for the tartan label Fine British wines, rich ruby, white and cream sherry at a price you like to. So that certainly probably looks as if it's probably quite... Do you think that'd just be like a ginger wine? Wine I think so. I think it's more of that line, I think, Mm. rather than a a fine wine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Below that, there's uh, the stout that scores with everyone. Driver's stout, strong and satisfying. The drink to keep you glowing. You got a, a drawing of a goalkeeper being beaten there with a football, by the looks of it as well. Um, so I guess Drybras has been around Scottish football for quite a while in terms of advertising. The next page: Drench Lighting System. Drench Lighting System. Um, I'm assuming that's like a, um, eric, you know, a, what do you call it? Irrigation? No irrigation. Is that not like the, the flood line? Is it? Drench Lighting is installed at leading. Oh yes, I suppose so. Um, it says specialist in design and erection of all types of steel fabricated structures. I thought maybe it was about the under under soil drainage. So it gives you some club notes welcoming um, a broth to Celtic Park. Just a little bit about that. It says um, some Joe Baker of Hibs has scored thirty four goals this season and now he's scored more than a hundred in all matches since he entered senior football. And there's again some more younger's medal ales. Some more advertisement for drinks, and then we get to it. So it's quite, it's quite a, it's not a particularly big magazine in terms of number of pages because we're next we're into the centre pages, which is the 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 teams in there, Tom. So let's see if we can recognise any of the broth players. Quinn, maybe I don't know if that was Pat Quinn. 
but we've got Williamson, McLeavy, Young, Brown, Fraser, Wright, Dunn, Grierson, Sheriffs, Eason and Quinn. Not not any real names that sort of um strike you know, stick out to me. But obviously one of the, the things to note here from the half time scoreboard is there's no Clyde Bank at this point. No indeed. Clyde Bank were a junior side at this point mm. in history. So the the other team in there, Adrianians versus Third Lanark. Come on, the high highs. So the, there's some other advertisements on here as well. Martel, some more drink. But yeah, CelticMatchDay.com. As I say, they sponsor our podcast. So please go onto the website and check your stuff out. We always say you don't have to be a Celtic supporter to to appreciate this. You'll find information for 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 loads of different clubs on here as well. And even if it's not, it's you know looking into the past, looking at the old photographs and articles and history and um, the adverts as well is always great for that. You can also follow them on Celtic underscore Match Day on Twitter, and it's all free. So go into there, check them out, CelticMatchDay.com. Thank you very much. Can we can we stay on Stephen for a, yes, for a moment? Absolutely. Well. <laughs> First of all, yeah, I've done the research. You're absolutely right. 1985, Willie McStay did did start the the matches along with along with his brother. So I, so Willie McStay and Tom McStay won the Scottish Cup in 1985. But so we're we're talking about the, the Rangers archives, uh, Stephen. So can you talk a wee bit about that? When did you? When did you, I mean? It's it sounds like something that's very much a a, a labour of love uh, for you. But when did when did you start doing it? And did you think it would sort of grow the the way that it did? Okay, well, uh, well, it started off in, like, I think it was July 2014. Uh, and I'd, and I'd, I got my first video recorder in 1982 and I'd started recording the games and I always kept them but, and I watched them to death at the time but I never really knew how, you know, how to transfer them or anything like that. So maybe around about 2012, 2013, uh, I managed to get a, a video to DVD recorder and started transferring them all. I put some up on YouTube and uh, they were quite popular but it was really I got a Twitter account and I followed a guy called Old Rangers Picks James Eden and uh, I remember showing them to my dad and my dad absolutely loved all the old picks so I'd got in, I got in touch with him and we're really good friends now and uh, he, he just suggested why you know why don't you you look at doing something on Facebook you know Facebook can you can put up to twenty minutes of video because at the time I think Twitter you can only put thirty seconds of video on so I, I just I, I did it actually so that because I think I had about thirty followers on Twitter at the time so it was just to to show the games to them that I set up the group and uh, so I, I, my my initial audience I was hoping for would was about thirty people. And, uh, but it just kind of took off. It was maybe it was it was lucky at the time because you know Rangers weren't doing so well. They were in the in the third division, and uh, but it just seemed to kind of take off. And I've been lucky that uh, some other collectors who who have had fantastic collections have been happy to share them with me. So and I just kind of edit them down and. I find like we we bits and pieces and it's just grown from there. So, yeah. but I never ever imagined it would be the way it is now. You know, I get I get slagged quite a lot by my by my family as being the archive man, and they they take they take they rip it out me a bit. But I, I I think it's just a kind of release. If it's if it makes people happy for five or six minutes a day, 
then uh, then that's good. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, obviously it's pretty popular, but it's obviously it's geared to towards the one team. But yeah, that's that's what I collected. And have you have you had a great find? Has, has somebody turned up something that you hadn't oh, seen? I've, I'd, I've I've found fantastic stuff. Uh, I, I got the virtually whole game of the Bayern Munich semi-final, the away leg, which hadn't been seen uh-huh. since 1972. Uh, I found I got the highlights of the Reigns away game in in, the, in that same tournament, the first game Rangers played in it that uh, that season, that had never been seen and it's never been released on any Rangers official video or anything like that. So I've I've found I've got I've got tons of stuff that's never never seen the official release right and is, and is there a piece of footage out there that, that you you know of that you're still trying to track down well uh, yeah i know that there's there was footage of torino game at home and away i've, I've got there's, there's wee bits of the away game but not the rangers goal but i know that i, I believe that the italian tv have got the torino game but uh, i think they want an astronomical amount of money for to get a couple uh-huh. of snippets, I know the other one is. I know that there's, I know one person who has uh, the TV highlights of the 1973 Centenary Cup final. Rangers beat Celtic three two with Tamford High School, but uh, I haven't been able to secure that as yet. <laughs> I know them. The, there was a you've mentioned before about the Drybrook Cup game. Yeah. What, what was this, what's the story around that about the? The the, the, the lack of, or the, the lack of it was only it was only filmed by the the sponsors driver and that's why they when they've edited their footage they've they've cut out the video of Cooper's from the main stand and you only see it from behind the goal mm. uh, and they they took it round uh, various clubs and social clubs at the time showing the videos after it but it's a pity that there's not uh, better quality of it out mm. there. Incredible things like that, isn't it? Where you know moments are just lost. Yeah, just lost. Yeah, I mean, and the other the other sad thing is, there's a, there's, I've got I've got every Rangers game that's been televised since 1980. Yeah. Uh, but there's loads of games from the 70s that I know were televised, but whether BBC, you've got them in their locker or mm. they they just they've thrown them out. They just there's so many good games. Right, like Parlane scoring five goals at Dunfermline. Uh, things like that, that that we should be able to see more highlights of Rangers winning the Liga uh, Hibernian in 1975. Yeah. There's only like four minutes of that available when it, you know that I know there was 25 minutes shown in the telly at night. So it's it's quite uh, it's quite sad that there's that all that history is not there anymore. Well, yeah, and it's sad that that it might just be sitting in a room somewhere where nothing. Yeah, happening, it may know. be, but. People have asked before, and again, BBC I think look for about five hundred pound for a minute's worth of footage and all this kind of stuff. So, and, and I've tried. I know the STV all their archive was given to Satanta, I believe, mm-hmm. when Satanta had it in the, in the mid two thousand six somewhere. Yeah. So, and I know that Rangers and Celtic got access to all their all the games that they had. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's much more to come from STV, yeah. but I think there must be more in the BBC vaults. And another thing as well, I remember all the the European games in the early seventies when it used to be 
on a uh, football focus or the before Saints and Greavesy on the, the ITV one at lunchtime. They used to show all the goals from the midweek European games. Yeah. And I know that there's European games that Rangers played and all clubs were showing and that was the only place you get you got to see them. Mm-hmm. But I think all the programmes would be I don't think they actually kept the reels. I think they just used them once and then recorded over them because they were expensive at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's it almost makes you cry, doesn't it? But how, how, yeah. how much time do you? How much time are you still spending on on the, the archives? See, and see, I think it's a, a, I'm, 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 I'm maybe a bit OCD, but I'm quite organised, and mm-hmm. uh, so I've got. Every, every game that I've, I've edited the goals for every every game so I've got to make I click a button so why people might say oh he's put seven videos up the day that might take me about a minute each yeah so it's it's not I don't I don't spend as much time as I did the first three or four years of doing it listen it's, it sounds a lot like for myself it's the initial work yeah and, and for me scanning in and then you know straightening things up cropping them and then it's it's all about the indexing after that. Yeah. As long as you get that indexing right, that you can search on it in your computer and bang, there it is. Yeah. All it is is drag and drop into a browser or something like that. That's it. That's it. It's as easy as that. Yeah. I mean, and people think, oh, they're spending all that time doing this. But as you say, you could be doing that in a couple of minutes. Yeah. and You've, you put the work in, you know. Yeah. So. yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, but you've also got, I mean, it's not just videos and the games that you've got, you you do have quite a a, a good collection of books and yeah, yeah, I've, like got, that as well. I've got a big collection of Rangers books. Uh, I think I've got about twenty Rangers news still to get to complete the collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got yeah, I've got I've got bits and pieces. What sort, <laughs> sort of period in the Rangers news from? The Rangers news went from August seventy one to. 2011. The, the ones that you're missing, are they... Oh, they're all from 80-81 season. Right. Well, I've got somebody on the trail for me. <laughs> <laughs> good man, good man, excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to scan them. I'm just going to say, we noticed that you're, you're streaming a game as live this evening. Is that, is that a new thing that you're, you're doing? Yeah, the 1986 League Cup final with Rangers and Celtic as soon as his first season in charge is uh, streaming live on my YouTube channel at the moment. Yeah, good stuff. Is that, is that a new thing that you're, you're, you're yeah, trying? Yeah, I just, I just or... tried it. Uh, there's, some people had asked for it on, uh, on the, the page just saying you know it might help pass time for yeah. uh, in the situation that we're in at the moment. So I gave it, I gave it a try and See how it goes, and you maybe do it again if it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely do it again. The, the, the issue I've got is you uh, ever watch my YouTube channel, <laughs> and if I put any European games up, they block them. <laughs> oh dear. So um, just I, I just want to go back to the 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 books and the magazines and stuff like that. How, how much of that is stuff that you've collected as a youngster, and including the the videos and stuff, and how much is it the stuff that you've you've recollected over the years? It's pretty. The stuff I've got there now is probably stuff I've, I've all my Rangers books now I've had all my life, but yeah. the likes of Scottish football book and all them I've I've recollected them mm-hmm. in the, in the last maybe four or five years, right? Just to you know like relive my youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, no problem. Right, we'll go back onto this um, this magazine, um, shoot magazine. So we're on pages nineteen to twenty two. So this is the the centre spread and the two pages on either side so it's a club call for Real Madrid 
And it says Real Madrid are once again Spanish champions. This is the second successive victory and the 17th in the club's history. So Real Madrid have now, as of today, as in 2020, they've now won uh, 33 La Liga titles. So that's 16 since this article, which was 34 years ago. So since then they've won one pretty much every two years. Um, I just like the, the idea that they're saying, oh, they've won their second successive victory back then as if, you know, that wasn't a... Whereas now probably the manager will get sacked if they don't win two in a row. Um, so Shoot mentions that they didn't play as exciting football last season as the previous one. Manager Milian Milianic says, a repeat performance is always difficult because everyone is determined to beat the champions. Says the secret to Madrid's success was consistency and the ability to average a point a game away from home. So to see that season finished uh, Real Madrid at top with 48 points, Barcelona second with 43, and so this was um, two points for a win still back then. So that's a uh, then it was Atletico Madrid, Espanol, and Atletico Bilbao. Athletic Bilbao. I apologise for any Bilbao fans out there. Um, now, they're worried that the side contains too many older players and that some expensive players aren't good enough. Now, page 22 gives a breakdown. So this is just after the centre pages. It gives a breakdown of the season just gone and it includes things like the goal scorers, where Piri is top with 13 goals. 13 goals doesn't seem like a, a huge return for a top scorer for, for what, that's won the league, um, unless obviously it's been spread out all, across a lot of other players. First team appearances, it gives a value of that. Camacho is top with 41. Um, what have Real Madrid won? So it gives a record of all the cups and titles that they've won. And it gives their 1975-76 record of the results from the season just gone, along with goal scorers and attendances. Now the largest attendance, which were all 125,000, were in the European games at home against the likes of Dinamo Bucharest, Bayern Munich, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Derby County. So... 125,000 is quite a quite a nice little um, support we have in there. So we'll take a look at the centre pages. And this is a double-page team photo. And like so many things Real Madrid related, the centre pages team photo is utterly majestic. Um, it consists of four levels. So, you know, four four levels up the way. And there's a great deal of symmetry. Now, I know, I know from Twitter anyway that a lot of people... There is a lot of people who have a thing for the symmetry of team photos and things like that, and they do get a bit OCD, and I don't think they'd have much of a problem with this one. Now, it includes Santiago Bernabeu suited and standing in the centre of the second row, and in the front are the Spanish League Trophy and Spanish Cups. Second row, second from the right, is Vicente del Bosque, who went on to manage Madrid and the Spanish national team, where he would guide them to the 2010 World Cup final and the 2012 European Championships. So it's quite it's quite nice to see him in there. Um, Paul Breitner is in the second back row, fourth from the left, while Gunter Netzer is two to the right from him. And I just picked those two names because they're quite big names back then, and plus they're just lovely names to say as well. Gunter Netzer, I love that one. So Serbian Milian Miljanic is centre on the back row, while crouching down in the front row at the centre is fellow Serb Felix Radisic, who was the first fitness coach in the club's history. Getting ahead of the curve there, I think. So what, what, what do we think of the, the team photo itself? It's, it's 
it's pure Real Madrid, isn't it? It's like other team photos are just like three rows, if, if even that, but no, they have to go do, one do, extra. Do, do you think they're standing on benches or are the guys at the back just really tall? <laughs> I think they, I think they may be standing on peasants or something at the back there. And I, I see that uh, Roberto Martinez is in the, the third row, but I don't think it's the same one. It's, it's not. I did check. Um, <laughs> I think I think I've maybe thought that a couple of times over the, over the years, but um, I did check. It's it's not it's not the same one. It's not his dad. It's a great shirt as well, and it's a plunging V neck. Yeah, it's a great, great stylish all white strip, but with the but with the, the club crest there as well. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, it's another situation where there's it's very plain, but it's very mm. know, stylish as you say. Stylish. There's there's nothing fancy to it. Yeah. Well, I was born six days before Real Madrid beat Eintracht at Hamden yeah. in 1960. And my dad had went to the game and my dad told me that Real Madrid were the best side that he would ever see, no matter what. And uh, that was the first outfit he, he made my mum buy me. It was an all-white outfit. So I've still, my mum's still got the photographs of me as a wee baby with my Real Madrid suit on, as he called it. So. <laughs> There's a, I think one of the goalkeepers, so there's a goalkeeper in the middle and he's wearing green and there's a goalkeeper on either side and I think one's black and the other one looks purple, which is one of your favourite colours, isn't it Stephen? And there's all... Uh, I've no idea. <laughs> it could be it could be blue, it could be blue, it could be purple. But uh, there's also one of the, the coaches at the bottom right is also wearing what looks like a, and I don't know if it's just the, the colour because... The one on the right looks as though he's wearing a purple tracksuit, and the one on the left looks as though it's blue. So it may be just um, my eyes or the picture itself. Here's a, here's a, here, can I ask a quick quiz question? What, what does Paul Breitner have in common with only two other players? Paul Breitner, having, how long are you going to give me to Google this? <laughs> Go I on. know you won't Google it, Andy. Maybe Tom will know the answer. Tom's popped out for a wee second. <laughs> Probably googling, it. but what does he have in common with two other players? Only two, only two other players. Only. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he scored in two separate World Cup finals. Right. Okay. Who who were the other two? Vava for Brazil mm-hmm. in '58 and '62, and Zidane in '98 and '2006. That's a good one. Brightner scored in seventy four and eighty two. Good, good little, good little fact. Was that was that just off the top of your head, or was that something? Yeah, you... no, it was just what I seen him in the picture. Right, okay, no, that's that's well done. Um, right, we're going to move on. Page twenty three, and we are. You are the ref, so I'm going to test your refereeing knowledge here, Stephen. Um, so I'm going to look at number three in the list, and it says. The ball kicked by a defender strikes a linesman who's standing on the touchline. It then rebounds onto an attacker and over the touchline. So do you A, award a throw-in to the defending team, B, award a throw-in to the attacking team, or C, drop the ball? Mm. I would give a throw-in to the defending team. Okay, is the correct answer. Oh, yes. <laughs> because the attacker was the last player to touch the ball, so the, the ball hadn't yep. actually went out. It yep. struck the, the referee, and that's absolutely right. So the next one we're looking at is number four. So it says, before a match starts, you hear a player swearing at a teammate. You take his name and refuse to allow him to play. 
Just before signalling the kickoff, you notice that the dismissed players team has 11 players. You instruct the captain to reduce his team to 10 players. Where is the problem? He can't be sent off if the game hasn't started. Well, he can be, um, but because it happened before the game started, the other team's allowed to play with 11 players. So uh, this, this that's, is... what I, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, okay. But this this one, this one, so, no, I mean, it confused, well, it didn't confuse me, it surprised me a little bit. Um, I would have thought that if it was right before the game, he would have been on the team sheet. And so I would have thought that... It would only be able to play if the other team said it was okay. No, I, I just would have thought that um, they would have had to start with 10 players because, you know, the referee has dismissed one of the players who's on the team sheet, but... I mean, for all we know, I mean, this is back in 1976, so it may have changed yeah. since then, but it says... The, the, the thing I was surprised about is I, I didn't think players swore on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like swearing at a teammate as well, so it's a bit... I'm, I'm guessing depends on what, what was said and the manner it was said, but, you know, you think the referee um, could maybe, you know, use a bit of common sense with this yeah. one. So... Moving on to page 26, and it's Carlyle's answer to Super Mac, and it's Ian McDonald we're talking about here. So it says, the surname's the same, but that's where the similarity ends. Unlike Newcastle's Super Mac, Malcolm McDonald, Carlyle's version is just starting out on the road to the top. It says, like Super Mac, Ian isn't short of ambition and is full of the same sort of enthusiasm and determination as the England striker. So McDonald joined Carlisle from St Johnston for 60,000 in May this year, which is 1976. And he says, when I signed for the club, the manager, Dick Young, told me the transfer fee was the second highest in Carlisle's history. Obviously, they'll be looking for a good return on their investment, and I'm confident I can give them that. My ultimate aim is to play first division football, and the boss told me when I signed that if I progressed, they would probably resell me to another bigger club. I am glad to get the chance to acclimatise myself to English football with a second division club instead of one of the big guns. It says his move to Carlisle came as something of a surprise to him. So McDonald says, For two years I read in the papers that I was being linked with one club or another. When nothing materialised I would become sceptical of reports. So when the manager at Perth, Jim Storey, telephoned me that Carlisle wanted me to sign for them, I didn't waste any time getting to Brunton Park. He's looking forward to the new season as an opportunity to push himself back into international reckoning. He says, I've played twice for the under-23 side. Since then, I haven't rated a mention. I'm determined to prove myself to Willie Almond with Carlisle. So, just a bit about Ian McDonald here. So, full name, Ian Campbell Aitken McDonald. Now, if we, if, I don't think we've heard more of a Scottish name than that so far, Tom, do you? Ian Campbell... Ian Campbell, Aitken, McDonald. And Campbell and McDonald in there. I thought they were sworn, sworn <laughs> enemy. Well, that's it. The Aitkens in between them is a sort of go-between. He was born in Germany. Was he born in Germany? He was born in Rintum, Germany. Okay. I I I got Elgin, but... Um... Yeah, well, that's what I've got. Mm. We've got, we got the same Ian Campbell, Aitken, McDonald. Because there might be more than one Ian Camden, Camp, well, can't even say it. 
I'm not even. I'm. I'm drinking water as well, Stephen. It's terrible. Right, whatever. <laughs> so, born in August 1953, he started with St Johnston um, from 72 to 76. Played 108 league games, scoring two goals. He moved to Carlisle, and he was there between 76 and 81, playing 187 league games, scoring seven goals. He then moved back to Dundee, back to Scotland with Dundee in 1981, and he was there to 84, played 70 league games, and he finished his career at a broth between 84 and 86, playing 26 uh, league games there. Now, he, as I said, he had these two under-23 caps, but he didn't I don't manage. Was, I think he was quite smart, smart too. No, no, he didn't, he didn't manage to really set the, the heather alight down there or you know, push his way into the Scottish plans. But just a spoiler, for, for this season, Kaleo, or the season before, Kaleo had just been relegated from the first division the previous season, so they've just come down, um, and this season they're in the second division. But they would be relegated to the third division in McDonald's first season, and would return to the second division, or wouldn't return to the second division until 1982, after he'd moved back to Dundee. So it was pretty much a drop through the divisions for for Kaleo, so they were in the top division, they went into the second, and McDonald, Ian McDonald turned up, they dropped in again to the third, so I, I wouldn't really call that a, a great success. Um, so the next one here is Johan Fife outplayed Cruyff, so it's about Graham Fife, who at this time is at Hibs, um, so it says, during nearly eight seasons of mixed fortunes, Graham Fife kept threatening to explode on the Ibrox scene in a big way. Unfortunately, the bang was never heard. There were two occasions when it seemed as if Fife was about to realise his ambitions at the club. The first was in Barcelona in 1974, when thousands of Spaniards applauded an outstanding performance by the then 23-year-old Fife. The show of appreciation signalled the fact that he had upstaged arguably the finest player in the world, Johan Cruyff. Johan Cruyff. Um, even though Barcelona came out on top result-wise, Fife scored a superb goal for Rangers and must have left the field a high-spirited winner. Rangers fans then dubbed him Graham Johan Fife. Almost a year later, he turned in a brilliant performance against Bohemians of Dublin in a European Cup tie at Ibrox. He scored once more and assisted in two of Rangers' three other goals. Manager Jock Wallace, who rarely lavishes praise on individuals, broke his self-imposed rule to say, he had a tremendous game, Graham Fife is definitely on the boil again. He remained on the fringe of the first team for much of the last season, leading him to move on with a transfer to Hibs in April. The move was part of a swap deal that saw Ali Scott move with him to Hibs in exchange for Ian Monroe. For a number of seasons now, Hibs have been the main challengers to the old firm, he says, and have a lot going for them. I believe I'll get more opportunities to prove myself at Easter Road and hopefully be a part of a very successful setup. Fife is also looking forward to being involved with Hibs European Adventures next season in the UEFA Cup. And he says, Playing against European sides is always a great experience. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I'll get the chance to sample European competition in a big way. So just a quickly a spoiler, he played for Hibs for one season, um, playing just 10 league games. Uh, Hibs also played Socio of France in the first round of the UEFA Cup, winning 1-0 in aggregate. They then played Oosters of Sweden in the second round, having won 2-0 at home, 
in the first leg. They then lost 4-1 in the return. Now, five played in both of their way legs, so it wasn't a great European experience for them either. So having won 2-0 at home, Hibs, they went away, lost 4-1, and that was one of the, the European games they played in. So what's your memories of Graham Fife, Stephen? Yeah, he was, he was a he was a decent player. He was he probably fell under the the the, the old winger thing where he wasn't as a consistent player. Yeah. But on his day he was really good. Uh, but it just his days weren't as, as often as they, they could have been. Yeah. His his son's actually a member of my group. Right. He, I've sent him videos to of his dad playing and scoring for Rangers. Mm. So we so we got to see him because they never had any. Do you do you have the 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 Bohemians no, game? No, no, that game wasn't televised. Right. I've got a game against St Johnson at Burton Park in '74 when he scored twice. So that must must be a nice thing to do, Stephen. Being able to get get the footage to the players' family, kind of thing that they they wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, yeah it's terrific, Tom. I've done it. I've done it quite a few times for for different people. Yeah, uh, so the they ask me, you know, I get I get loads of messages, and, yeah. you know, private messages asking for for bits and pieces. So I always try and help out where I can. Yeah. Just um on Graham here, so on his profile, so he was born in August nineteen fifty one in Motherwell. Um, played for for Rangers between sixty nine and seventy six. Um, sixty four league games in total, scoring twenty two goals, which isn't a bad return, I, I think. One in every three. Um, played 10 games for Hibs, as we said. He then moved to Dumbarton, where he played 59 league games, scoring 11 goals. And he then had a spell over in the States um, for quite a few years. Pittsburgh Spirit, between 79 and 80. Between 80 and 83, he played for Cleveland Force. And then between 83 and 84, he played for St. Louis Steamers. Now, this these were all part of the indoor league, as it was back then. Um, so... I'm guessing he enjoyed the weather out there a little bit. So, moving on to page 27, we're at Tartan Talk with Kenny Dalglish. Um, and this, he's still at Celtic at this point. So, the, the title of this one is The Benefits of a Close Season Tour. So, Kenny discusses the pros and cons of close season tours. And he says, Motherwell had their problems when they played in Colombia and ended up having their final tour match cancelled by the organisers. You know, we'll stop here and just say I, I've found nothing that suggests what this problem was. Um, I asked a few people. Um, there's there's a mention of the tour on the Motherwell um, archive website, um, but there's nothing to say that there was actually a problem. So, any anything from anyone ever heard yeah, of this? I don't about that, sorry. Yeah, uh, yep. so... Um, so Kenny goes on and says any team heading for Australia or the Far East is faced with an exhaustive plane journey to get there personally problems apart I think close season games are now accepted as part of the game Celtic have decided against an extensive tour abroad and settled instead for a relaxing break in Jersey but in the past the club has travelled quite a bit and benefited as a result players get to know one another and this makes for a good understanding both on and off the park of course, it isn't all hard work and pl- no play on tour. There is some free time to relax and view the sights. There's also the psychological factor if a team remains unbeaten on the tour for going into a new season. And Kenny says, Celtic will operate a new youth policy in the, the coming season under the guidance of Sean Fallon, who's pictured in the article. 
He was in charge of the first team last season in Jockstein's absence after his car crash. Kenny then goes on to talk about his golf. Um, and it says, K. Douglish Esquire was really chuffed with himself when he returned a net 74 in a pro-am golf tournament at Crowwood Golf Course recently. My score didn't matter in the end, however. The team, led by John Dunlop and Billy Lockie, came out on top with 62s. Anybody golf fans here? Yeah, yeah. Is that, because I, I, I've just read that out and I don't really know what it means. <laughs> Is that good? Is that a good uh, 74? Ah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, for a, uh, yeah. It's a terrific score. Okay. Uh, Crowwood's a good good course as well, out at steps. Right, okay. The, the name's John Dunlop or Billy Lockie mean anything to no, anybody? No, nothing. Yeah. nothing. Okay. So the article includes a picture of Harry Hood as he prepares to take a corner during last year's summer trip to Northern Ireland. Um, it's a great photo. I love the photo because the crowd behind them are all crammed together with some sitting on the grass and they're barely yeah. a couple of feet away from them. It's just a great... And if you look, there's a guy with a shirt with rolled up sleeves and a tie on and behind him there's a guy wearing a vest. <laughs> yep, a bit different. <laughs> a great mix of mix of folk who maybe came straight for their work or straight off the straight off the line on the line on the, the park bench. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great, great photograph. And it, it looks as though it's quite a. Well, I'm guessing if it's a summer tour, but it looks as though it's quite a sunny, sunny day as well. Um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have much, much room there for a run up. Um, okay, so on to page 28, I just want to have a look at, this is an advert here for Tiger Olympic Special, and it's it's your complete Olympic guide for 30 pence, and it's a 64-page packed publication for the Montreal Olympic Games. It's, it's not something I, I remember getting, or well, it's not something we would have got, but um, it's always interesting to see uh, things like this where they, where they where it's for a, a special sport and occasion that isn't football or that but I, I just don't think I would have found much of it interesting anybody ever get the Olympic special? Yeah, uh, no I, I was only ever interested in athletics really you know the side of it I used to watch it quite avidly and, uh, uh, and that was Britain, mm. got, Britain got one medal in the 76 Summer Olympics that was, was it was the guy who's pictured there, Brendan Foster, got a bronze medal in the 10,000. I think it was a 10,000. And that was the only medal Britain won in the, the, the athletic side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on to page 30. Um, we've got a lovely colour, full page colour photograph of Tommy McLean, the Rangers here. Um, now, the, the photograph itself is Tommy's crouched down in, in his Rangers kit, Adidas boots. Uh, holding a white mitre ball. Um, so it's your classic Rangers strip, blue top, white shorts. Well, it's not quite classic for some people, though, is it? Because it's got the red socks with a white trim rather than... Yeah. yeah so. do, you, do you have a preference, Stephen, on the socks? Black and red. Black and red. Yeah. Okay. An inch of red at the top. <laughs> and, and can you just, you just tell us why Rangers sort of traditionally wear that? I think it's a uh, govan colours. Yeah. It was uh, black and red. So when it was obviously from the borough of govan, but I don't know the full story going into detail, but that's where I believe it came from. Mm. The, that that picture of Tommy McLean, I'm sure that's the same picture. It was on a, one of the, the plane cards the that you've got. It could well be that there's actually there's a few of them that are quite like there's a Alex Miller one that's quite similar as well, and the John Gregg. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's quite a classic 
composed from that period, isn't it? That crouchy yeah. down with the ball. Some some of them have the ball on the ground, and like a, sort of touching, you know, pressing against the ball. So it's is quite a class. I find that strange. You know, the older cards as well, maybe late sixties, early seventies. There's a lot of them doing overhead kicks and bicycle kicks and things like that. And then you get to hear whether. So it seems as though there there are these um, styles. Poses. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that do, you know, belong in particular periods of time. Yeah, um, it just means you can't tell how small Tommy McLean is. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's um, I'm sure his wiki page probably tells us. But so just on on Tommy. So he was born June forty seven, Ashkill, Lanarkshire. Did I pronounce that right? Or was it Ashkill? Ashgill. Yeah. Ashgill, so, yeah. So he started at Kilmarnock. He was there 64-71. And he played 216 league appearances. And I think he won... This is maybe what I was thinking of earlier on. So he won the, the, the top division with Kilmarnock in 64-65. Yep. When they beat Hearts on goal average, wasn't it? Yep, yep. 2-0 in the final game at Tynecastle. Incredible situation, that goal average. It's... It's really such a strange concept, but um, yeah, if it'd been any other way, Hearts would have won the title. Mm. I think I, I, I was reading something else about, and I think Southampton may have many many years ago won it on um, goal average as well, way back in the nineteen thirties or something like that. Um, so that has happened more than one occasion, but I, I would certainly wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of that. So. He then moved to Rangers in 1971. He was there to 82, 300 league games. And he has six Scottish caps, full Scottish caps, one goal. Um, his managing career took him from Morton to Motherwell to Hearts to Wraith Rovers to Dundee United. And so when he played at Kilmarnock, he was there at one point with his brother Jim and Willie. Um, Willie was a coach. And of course, Jim McLean played there with him as well. Um, 452 games in total for Rangers in all competitions and I think he was inducted into the Kilmarnock Hall of Fame in 2016 as he in the Rangers Hall of Fame I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't think so no, I don't think so either But um, he, was, he, was, he managed Rangers as well as a stand-in manager when John Gregg left, between John Gregg leaving and Jock Wallace returning Tommy McLean took charge of the three games we really? lost all three all right. that's interesting <laughs> That's interesting. Um, he won th- so he won three league titles playing with Rangers, four Scottish Cups, three Scottish League Cups, and one European Cup winners' cup. That's a pretty good haul, isn't it? Terrific. Happy with that. And he, great player. Yeah, and he won the Scottish Cup with Motherwell managing in 1990-91 in the family final, wasn't it against his brother? Yeah, Jim. Yeah, against. So, lovely, lovely again. Again, just back to how I I just love the photographs of the era. It's just there's something about them. It's just warm and glowing. I'm getting all I'm getting all emotional. So on to the next page. So it's um we're focusing. So we've done your focus on earlier on. Now it's John Toshak's turn for a focus on. So there's a photograph of him here, and he's um I mean it's a classic Wales admiral kit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the, you know you could say the Coventry one or the Leeds United one but I think the Welsh Admiral kit was the best of all the Admiral kits um, I, for me I don't know if anybody's yeah. got a particular well, I, I had that one I had that shot yeah 
Yeah, a good one. Nice colours and the big collars with the, with the Admiral crest, the Admiral badge on the collars as well. Oh, mm. always light red and yellow together. I, th- I, um, I think maybe also because it was a Melchester Rovers colours and stuff mm-hmm. as well. So I always liked those colours together. And I think whenever I, when I was wee and I used to draw, um, you know, little cartoons or whatever, um, or you know, football things, it would probably always be. I think red, yellow, and brown for some reason were um, colours. Well, maybe because you put them two together, they become brown, don't they? So let's take a look at a couple of his. I'm just uh, favourite food, steak. It's like oh, it's just steak. We're still waiting for that steak and chips to come. Um, best friend, nobody in particular. Does that sound that, that sounds a bit like you, Stephen? Eh? I've got so many that I don't have anybody in particular. <laughs> um, most like to meet Muhammad Ali. So I mean a lot a lot of the the other ones are just pretty straightforward, um, nothing really. Favorite player John Charles. Favorite other teams Wales soccer and rugby. Um, most difficult opponent Mike England. Um, biggest thrill captain in Wales at Wembley. Um, best country visited Fiji. Miscellaneous likes rugby and golf and miscellaneous dislikes losing, and you won't like this one. And anything blue. Yeah, I know. What's that? What's that about? Because he's played with Liverpool. Nah, is that all right? Okay, that's a that's a, that's a good reason. That's a good. This is good. The reason is any. Just on uh, Muhammad Ali there, uh, John Toshak had a book of poetry that came out in 1976, which was apparently inspired by uh, Muhammad Ali's book of poetry. Uh, so Toshak's book was called Gosh, it's Tosh. And uh, I just got a couple of wee examples of, of his poems. <laughs> uh, just a couple of wee lines. Yep. Wales, Wales come out in a brand new kit, but I don't play because I'm not fit. And uh, there's uh, this is before the Liverpool-Barcelona game in 76. The players will be apprehensive, but Liverpool, we won't play defensive. <laughs> I bet that's all the love copies. Do you know, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that, but I'd, I'd heard about that before. Have you got any more? Uh, well, I think you can find. I don't know if you can find the actual uh, book. It's, it's maybe on Amazon somewhere, but either there are there are a few other examples kind we'll, of out we'll, online. We'll, de- we'll definitely include well, a link a link to that in our web page. So you know, Stephen, whenever we do these shows, we we do a, a web page with it. So it's it right, you know stuff. You. Yeah, so it's it's everything. So we'll include that in it as well. And um, yeah, that that's an absolute classic. Um, okay, page thirty two. And we're on news flashes. So these are just little little bits and pieces. So this one says, could rival fans get another club banned? It says, Wales have no complaints about their ban from next European Championships. The scenes at Ninian Park during and after the game against Yugoslavia involved hundreds of spectators and they contributed towards as ugly a scene as soccer has seen in recent years. If UEFA can ban Real Madrid from next season in the European Cup because of one fan's behaviour, Wales have little to put forward in defence. Referee Rudy Glockner was blamed for losing control, but he's an easy scapegoat. By saying this, it's almost condoning a pitch invasion if the referee has a bad game. You know, the reports of the game describe a number of bad decisions by the referee in the game against Yugoslavia, which was in the last day of the European Championships. The quarterfinals were home and away, and they lost 2-0, in, so Wales had lost 2-0 in Zagreb. Uh, 
Now, prior to the whole match, the Welsh FA raised the flag of West Germany in honour of the referee, who unfortunately was East German. So that's a grievous, and a grievous insult, apparently. So Glockner gave a harsh free kick against the Welsh, which led to a breakaway, and from far distance away, he then gave Yugoslavia a penalty from the resulting break. Two, two Welsh goals were then disallowed. He then did give them a penalty, but Terry Yorth missed it. So Welsh fans invaded the pitch and threw missiles in the closing stages, and Glockner had to be protected by police at the final whistle, as the opposition fans and players were caught up in fights by invading Welsh fans. Now in the article, Shoot suggests the possibility of a rogue fan from another country or club infiltrating a home support to cause trouble that could lead to a ban. So th- this this is something I'd, I'd never heard of before. I'd never heard that, knew that there was this Welsh fan, no, the Wales fans causing a problem like that. Was it something any of you have been aware of? I can remember it at the time, but I'd forgotten all about it until I seen the article. Mm. I think it was quite bad at the time, but yeah. So, so Wales, yeah, they, they were initially banned from the nineteen eighty European Championships, but UEFA settled on a ban of them playing at Ninian Park instead. So, you pesky Wales fans, just watch it. Um, pages thirty four and thirty five is on the ball with Billy Bremner. And it's my team to beat the world. So Billy talks about compiling teams of all-stars and says it's one of his favourite pastimes. And he says, I used to do this as a lad, although at the time my team was made up of Celtic players with a few from Stirling Albion reserves. Now, I, I don't know what the Stirling Albion um, connection is there. It um, comes from Stirling. Is it? Right, okay. Yeah, it comes from Raplock and Stirling. That will... That will explain that then. So, but Billy's going to select a super team of the sixties and seventies. So, with the goalkeeper, I'll I'll try some of these names: Julia Grosic of Hungary, Lev Yashin of Moscow Dynamo in Russia, and Dino Zoff of Juventus in Italy. Um, but he says Pat Jennings, who's possibly the world's top keeper at the moment, comes into the reckoning. But best all round for dependability is Gordon Banks, and he says for him he's. He's a, one of soccer's true gentlemen. So for the right back, he picks Carlos Alberto. Left back, former Leeds United teammate Terry Cooper. Centre halves, he says Franz Beckenbauer and Jack Charlton. Say, but Billy would play Beckenbauer in the, mid, in the midfield and so picks Bobby Moore alongside Charlton. On the left hand side would be Jim Baxter. And, and then on Jim, he says Jim's genius could destroy any team and I mean any, on his day. The third midfield slot would go to Brazilian Clodaldo, who played 510 league games for Santos between 66 and 79, with 38 Brazil caps. So that that was probably, that was a name that I'd never heard of before. Clodaldo, he played in the 70 World Cup final. Yeah, well, that's what he says. He says when, yeah, he says, when I saw him in the 1970 World Cup finals, he looked so mature. I thought he must be at least 27 or 28, Imagine my surprise when I discovered he was only 20. It seems as though he had a bit of a tough paper round as well there. Uh, <laughs> front three, Pele, Johan Cruyff and George Best. I think that's a pretty a pretty decent team that, isn't it? From Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're pretty much keeping the end of, just on the back is a, is a photograph of Keith Robson of West Ham. The West Ham badge says... I mean, is that is that Buckter? What's the 
Or is that just fell falling apart from Umbro or something? Can we can we see that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a I'm not sure if that's bugged up. But anyway, the, the badge itself is a cup winners nineteen seventy five, so it's a special edition probably from the you know I'm sure they probably wore it all the whole season. Um so there we go. Stephen, th- thank you for joining. We're, we're going to, um, we, we partnered up with a, a charity partner um, and the one we're partnering up with for for this season is Back On Side, which you may have heard of. And they, they do lots of, um, you know, helping people with mental health issues. So just going to have a little readout for them. And it says, here, here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it's estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So it's a very, very good and a very important job that they do. None so, more so than, you know, we don't want to age this, but none so, more so than at the moment, you know, when, you know, people who will have issues normally um, are really going to be feeling the pressure. So what we do is we ask the the, the listeners out there, go to Back On Side on Twitter and find a webpage, come to our webpage and we'll link you to it and help them any way you can, whether that's, you know, helping out just with you know support on twitter retweeting things or indeed donating to them and a way you can do that as well is for each show we do you can there's a donate button on the page that you can donate for every pound you donate 50 percent will go to the the podcast to keep it running and 50 percent will go to the the charity partner back on side as well and what that for each pound it gives you a, a raffle a virtual raffle ticket into a draw so what the what you win from that is the actual magazine that we've just spoke about and we'll throw in a few other goodies and things like that as well and i guess if if you've got any spare um you know rangers things or that that you could throw into a goodie bag that that would be really absolutely yeah. as well no, I'm quite happy to do that i've got plenty brilliant so you know if, if people can and, do and send us send us a, the link Andy, and i'll put it on twitter as well brilliant yeah yeah we'll do that um, so definitely, you know, support the and basically all all the all the charities and all the the organisations that are supporting people, um, do need their help. So do that as best we can. Um, now I'd also like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for use of the story of the blues for the music of our show. You can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk and you can check out any gigs and new music and anything that he's doing um, whenever they do start happening again. And we'd also thank like, like to thank our producer, Diane Jarden, for her great work and the support that she does give the podcast. Um, she does a great job. And you can check out www.transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music and recording facilities um, in Clybank there as well. Um, so... What is there anything? What, what's what's your 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 next little project, Stephen? Are you got anything on the? Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing planned. Just if see how this uh, premiere went on YouTube tonight. I might do a few more of these, mm-hmm. but just more of the same, I think. So in terms of how how can people, um, so what what's your, the the Twitter handle and the Facebook My page? Tw- Twitter handles 
uh, old Rangers video and my YouTube channels, the Rangers Archives. Okay, so and it's, it's a closed group, is it? No, no, is on, it open up? It's a closed group on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you can search the, the Rangers Archives and uh, apply to join. Mm-hmm. Just Great stuff. Okay, Tom, Tom what's, what's going on in your life at the moment? At the moment, not an awful lot. Um, probably when this comes out, what I've got going on is a bit out of date, so nothing much at the moment. What's going on with you, Andy? Nobody, <laughs> nobody asks about you. Nobody ever asks about me. What's going on with me? I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time at home at the moment. That's what it's... Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of running. I'm spending a lot of time at home. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with my cats. I'm... Doing doing a lot of work both with the podcasts and you know we're, we're, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of people who want to do the podcast and we've got a lot of people who we want to do the podcast with and it just the we do have a a bit of a a bottleneck and the bottleneck is that we we do a fair bit amount of work to actually prepare them so it's not as if we just turn up and just start chatting away with people so. Fortunately, that's that's a bottleneck for that. But we, we've got a lot in the pipeline, a lot in the pipeline, and we're going to try and get through as much as we can um, over, you know, the the next period of time. So that that's what I'm up to. So yeah, are we all happy? Yes, very happy. Good stuff. Now listen, th- thank you again, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I, you know, we we know each other. Um, well enough so it's been great to have you on here eventually um, thank yeah, you I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed it maybe sometime in the future once you've you've got rid of your bottleneck I'll maybe come back on and help out again you really enjoyed it no absolutely that, that'd be great um, <laughs> definitely do that and thank thank you Tom for being Tom thank you Andy yeah thanks Tom enjoyed talking with you yeah thanks for coming on Stephen welcome okay so until the next time, please keep downloading the podcast, listening to the podcast, sharing it, um, interacting with us on Twitter. Let us know um, what you like. Don't let us know what you don't like. Now I'm joking. Let us know about that as well. So until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Shoot the breeze.